go ahead and have Go Ye Kids dismissed. So go ahead and head out with Miss Julia and her helpers. All the kids do that. The rest of us grab our Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Acts chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he, leaping, stood, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you once again for the opportunity and the privilege it is to open up Your Word and have You speak to us, Lord. I just pray that Your Word would be clear and free to speak to hearts, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you met, ever met someone who is just absolutely passionate about something? Football season's coming up. And if you want to see some passion, you can turn on the TV. And you will see people with their hair dyed the colors of their team, with their bodies painted the colors of the team, standing out there in sub-degree, sub-freezing um, weather, freezing, but they are more than excited to put up with whatever hardships, whatever the hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of dollars they would spend on a single ticket to go to this game so they can be passionate about their football team. But if you've met someone whose life is completely consumed with something, they are going to spend at least some of their time talking about it. You're not going to have a conversation with that person without them bringing it around to what they are passionate about. Right now, as Pastor and I, or we're working at Union Baptist Church, that project can become very consuming. It can become something that occupies a lot of our mind where we're having a conversation. 
And sure enough, it turns around to, well, what are we doing next? What is the next element to get so we can keep the project moving? Well, that's, that's good. That's something good. That's something that we need to be working on. Also, you might meet a young lady who's about to get married. And sure enough, if she's talking, she's engaged, that conversation is eventually probably going to turn around to, you know, I'm getting married or I got this planning to do and this. It's going to turn to what she is thinking about. If you meet someone who loves food, eventually that conversation is probably going to get onto the topic of food. You meet someone who loves themselves. You know that conversation is going to turn to about them. But wouldn't it be a shame if we who claim to love and follow the Lord, when the opportunities arise, we, our conversation doesn't turn to the one that we claim to love. And it, that's a provoking thought. That's very provoking to me too. That when, as we're going through New York City, it is so easy to get the New York stare. I remember as, as a teenager, we would go um, ice skating with Miss Pam, and I would joke with Miss Pam. We'd be on the subway going, and I'd get on the subway, and I'd be just sitting there, Miss Pam, here's my stare. And I'd be like, just rocking with the train. And she would be cracking up because she's like, yep, that's what everybody looks like. Everybody's got their headphones on, and they're just going to do what they got to do. But wouldn't it be, isn't it a shame that those who claim to love God, those Myself, all of us, as, oppor- as opportunities arise, we don't use those to turn it to Jesus Christ. When we get to the text this day, when we get to Acts chapter 3, the day of Pentecost has just happened. The church is very exciting right now. The church is growing rapidly, the church at Jerusalem. Numerically influential. I cannot say that word tonight. But influence, there we go. In their matter of influence, they're just growing and growing and growing in the, in the city of Jerusalem. If we look back at the end of chapter 2, it says in verse number 46, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So what is happening at this point in church history is the day of Pentecost has just happened. The Holy Spirit has come down. They speak in tongues, giving um, the sign that the Holy Spirit had indwelled them, that what was happening was from God. That was the sign of speaking in tongues, that this was from God. Now they're going around, they're preaching the gospel, they're going from house to house teaching people. They're daily in the temple, and people are getting saved every day. And this is the context where we come into Acts chapter 3. It's while all this is going on, the apostles are going around every day. They're in the marketplaces, they're in the temples, they're teaching, they're preaching, they're People are saying, what is this new religion? We thought Jesus was dead, now he's alive. And suddenly there's thousands and thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem. They're working together, they're all in one cord, they're having things common. There's people who are visiting, they're taking care of them. People are selling what they have so they can help the other Christians. There's just this great spirit, there's this great camaraderie among the Christians. This new church is growing it's growing exceedingly. The Pharisees still haven't really started to try to put their thumb down on it yet. There's just this great experience going on. And at, this is the time when the, Luke, who's writing the 
book here, book of Acts, he puts, okay, pause, that's what's going on. Now here's a close-up of what's going on. This is a day in the life of the church. Peter and John, they're going at the hour of prayer to the temple. That would have been about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Excuse me, many people would have been flooding to the temple at that time to go. Apparently, the other apostles weren't with them. The Bible just mentions Peter and John. So they're on their way. They're going up to the temple to pray. The Bible says they go through the gate beautiful, which um, from the best we can tell, it was one of the gates that was made of the best bronze. It was almost more precious than gold. This massive, very high gate, very beautiful to look at. And as they're on their way up to the temple to pray, to spend time with God, to tell others about Jesus Christ, there's a beggar sitting outside the temple because those who were injured, those who were lame were not allowed inside the temple. They were outside the temple. And he was there asking alms. He, a beggar at that time, he, that would have been how he lived. He would have needed the money that he got every day from begging to buy the food that he would need to eat that day. The Bible says that he was carried daily to the temple. So apparently, and we find out later in chapter 4, that he was 40 years old. So this has been going on for a long time. This beggar was lame from birth. Apparently something, when he was born, something was deformed in his feet. Because the Bible says his ankle bones received strength. He was somehow deformed, somehow limited, and he was not able to walk. And not being able to walk, he was not able to work like most other people. Therefore, after whatever reason, he had to resort to begging. So, people who are going to the temple love God. Surely they're going to be more generous. And oftentimes at the temple, you would have the Pharisees, which in the Sermon on the Mount... Um, Jesus talks about when you do your almsgiving, don't sound a trumpet before you. So the Pharisees were famous for if they were going to give something, it was going to be a place where everybody could see them. And they were going to make a big deal about it. So obviously being at the temple as a beggar would be a lucrative place to be. It would be where you'd want to be if you were trying to get money. So this man is begging. He sees Peter and John. Maybe he knew, where they, knew who they were. Maybe he didn't. Maybe they'd given to him before. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible also doesn't say why, with Jesus being in the temple, just weeks before, he hadn't been healed by Jesus. I was thinking, like, why, if he was here every day, why hadn't he been healed by Jesus? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But here he is. Peter and John are on their way up to the temple to pray. And this lame man is sitting by there. He sees them. He says, can you give me some money? I need some money so I can live today. Can you give, give me some money? So Peter, walking up, he sees the lame man. But it says they're walking into the temple. So he begins to walk by him. And the man asks him an alm. And then Peter says... Hey, look at me! Maybe John's like, that's so loud, Peter. What are you doing? So that's going on. So Peter's saying, look at me. Now, usually when someone said that, that would have been customary to say, hey, everybody around, look. I'm going to give a lot of money to this guy. I'm going to be a big, generous guy. But he, was talking, he wasn't talking to everybody else. Peter was talking to the beggar. He said, look on me. 
And the beggar, accustomed to people drawing attention to themselves before they give, was like, oh boy, this is what, this is just what I need today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really strike it rich. I'm gonna hit the jackpot. So this beggar is looking at Peter and he is looking at him expecting to receive something. It's like the little kid at Christmas expecting mom to give him that present. He's just sitting there looking at him because he needs Peter to give him that money so he can live today and the next day. So then Peter says, Peter's opening line is, look at me. Beggar looks at him. He has his attention. And then he says, silver and gold have I none. Beggar's like, you just lost me and starts turning to the next person to try to get some alms. He's like, you told me to look at you and then you tell me you got nothing. What? You're not helping me out here. You're not helping me out here, Peter. I don't know what you're doing. So he begins to turn to others to ask alms. And, but Peter isn't finished yet. He doesn't stop here. He goes, but what I have give I unto thee and the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk. So the... the um, the beggar here has begun to turn his attention, and all of a sudden he said, rise up and walk. And apparently he didn't get it because Peter just grabs him and picks him up. He says, in the name of Jesus, look at it. It says in verse number, um, verse number 6, he says at the end of it, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So Peter talks to this beggar says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who they've been preaching, who they've been teaching in the streets and in the temple day by day. He says, in that name, rise up and walk. The beggar turns and looks at him kind of weird. So Peter says, he ain't getting it. He grabs him, just goes, picks him up and says, there, you're standing. And all of a sudden he's like, I am standing. I am standing. And you just see this um, look of amazement and wonder come over his face. And then... This man who was a beggar who had no hope from day to day begins just to run through the temple, a place he really hadn't been able, really allowed as a cripple, as a beggar. He really wasn't allowed to be in there. He really wasn't a real part of society as a cripple, as a beggar. And now he's running through the temple and he's walking. He's like, let's try this. This works. Let's try this. This works. And he's like, let's give it a shot. Just jump. And he's jumping and he's screaming and he's doing all this. So meanwhile, he comes into the temple. Well, remember, it's the hour of prayer. So you've got all these pious Jews standing there and they're getting ready to pray and they're making their sounds. And you hear the murmur of prayer. And all of a sudden you got this man in obviously beggar's clothes running through the temple, screaming at the top of his lungs, praising the Lord, because he knew who he had healed him. And he's running through the temple. Take, and he's, he's doing laps in the temple. He's just running, and he's screaming, and he's disrupting everything that's going on. And these, all of a sudden, these Jewish people begin to come pouring in to the area where this lame man was running around. And Peter and John, they were excited about this. I don't, I don't think they were going, shh. I don't think they were doing that. They were excited that he was giving the praise to God. And then in comes all these people. Begin, they begin to pour into this area. And they, the Bible says that they were 
um, let's look at what the Bible says in verse number 10. And, and all the people, verse number 9, let's start there. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew it was he which sat at alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. They come in and they're just, they're just stunned. Like you've seen some, like this is, this is weird. And they've seen Jesus do healing. Many of these people. They've seen the miracles. The apostles had already been performing some miracles. But at this miracle, because they had seen this man outside the temple, many of them probably on their way into the temple. He had been out there day by day by day, and he was over 40 years old. So some of these people knew him for years, and maybe had given to him at one time in their life. And they said, wait a second, that's the guy we know that that was the beggar, and now he's running and doing, he's running and praising God. He didn't walk before. This isn't like a New York City beggar who sits out and pretends not to walk and begs food and then begs money, and then the car pulls up, they laugh and they walk and they jump in the car in their Cadillac. It's, it's been proven. There's actual stories where you can look it up and document it, where there was New York City beggars who drove down to, one guy drove down, had his locker at the Y, drove his Cadillac down there, got out his beggar clothes and went out begging. That's not the type of beggar this was. They knew it wasn't. He was dependent upon the money that he received to live that day. And now they see him running around. They know this is a miracle. And they come in, the Bible says, they're greatly wondering. They're amazed. They are filled with wonder. The Bible's using just beautiful adjectives here and beautiful description. They're saying, they, it isn't like, hey, what's going on over there? They're like, wait a second, something's happening here. And they all come in. And what does Peter and Peter and John do? As soon as they see this massive crowd gathering to see what on earth is going on with this lame man, they don't say, hey, look at this, this is pretty neat. The first thing Peter does is say, don't look at us like we did it, because it wasn't through our power that did it, but it was through the power of Jesus Christ. He immediately sees another opportunity to teach not only one man about the power of Jesus Christ, he now sees an opportunity to teach multitudes about Jesus Christ. And as they come in, we could go through the rest of Acts chapter 3 and go through and he begins to say, it isn't us, it's the God of Abraham and Isaac who the Bible says he needed to suffer. He came and he died, who you crucified and he rose again from the dead. And therefore, you need to repent on his name. And the Bible says in verse in chapter number four later that 5,000 men were saved in this one instance as they filled that porch to hear, to see what was going on with this blind man. Peter saw an opportunity and he immediately began to preach that the power that had healed the lame man was the same power that they needed to forgive them from their sins. He was walking into the temple. The, the blind man, or the, excuse me, the lame man asking alms, he says, this is an opportunity to show this man the power of God. This man all of a sudden starts screaming and running through the temple and everybody starts gathering. And Peter says, 
Here we go again and begins to preach again and tell the tell the whole multitudes about Jesus Christ. Each time Peter and John were presented with an opportunity, they shared Christ. Later in chapter 4, they're, because of this, because of this preaching in the temple, they're brought before the Pharisees. They're brought before the council, the very men who were physically responsible for having Jesus crucified. And what does Peter and the disciples do? They're in front of the men who are angry at them. They're, they're in front of people who are, why are you doing this? And what does Peter do? He stands and he once again preaches that Jesus Christ is the way and they need to believe on Jesus Christ, but that they had already crucified him. But if they were going to have any hope, they needed to believe on Jesus Christ. He says, I'm before the Sanhedrin. Here's another opportunity to preach Christ. And that's what he did. The disciples used every opportunity they had to introduce the power of Jesus Christ to the people they met. They used every opportunity because they had already allowed Jesus Christ to become the passion of their lives. They had already allowed Jesus Christ to become who and what they were about. It wasn't necessarily they were saying, hey, you know what? This lame man here, if we heal him, he's going to draw a big crowd. That wasn't, what, that wasn't what they were thinking. They were saying, Hey, here's a man who needs Jesus. Let's tell him about Jesus. All of a sudden they saw this massive crowd pouring into the temple and they said, Hey, here's an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. They're arrested, dragged before the Sanhedrin. And they said, here's an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. I would say from studying in the lives of the apostles that the reason they could do this, use every opportunity they have to preach and teach others about the power of a resurrected Lord is because they had already allowed Jesus Christ to become the passion, the sole authority in their lives. That was who they lived for. When they were given an opportunity, that's who they talked about. When something came up, they they said, wait a second, there's people here. Let's tell them about Jesus Christ because they had already allowed Jesus Christ to become the passion of their lives. They have become devoted followers of Christ, and that is what they talked about. That is what they lived for. But today, in our lives, we're disciples of Jesus Christ just as well. And we show up to church, and we're excited about the things of God. But it's so easy to allow the frivolous things of this world to take some of that passion out of our lives. So that we stop using every opportunity that we have, that we're given, to tell others about Jesus Christ. Suddenly we're talking about sports, or we're talking about our job, or we're talking about whatever has begun to take our passion. But, but, but if we choose to focus our passion on God, we, become, we can become witnesses to the amazing power of God in the lost world. Here in New York City, as we walk through the streets, the city is full of lost, proud, some are broken, most are not. Most people in New York City, if, you're, if you've moved to New York City and you have a job, you've made it. You've got money. You've got what you need. They're like, I don't need Christ. But they do need the power of God to break the hold that sin has on their lives. And to redeem them from their sins. Every day, you and I come in contact with people. 
Now, that doesn't mean every time is going to be an opportunity to witness to somebody. Sometimes there just isn't the opportunity. But when we are given an opportunity to talk to someone, just in a casual conversation, that conversation almost naturally is going to turn to what we are passionate about. It is. When we're just talking to people, it's almost naturally going to turn to what we're passionate about. The disciples, every opportunity in this text that they came to, whether they were talking to one lame man, the multitudes, the Sanhedrin, people in the temple, they used it to talk about Jesus Christ. I don't think as the lame man was running and screaming and giving praise to God, I really don't think he was worried about what people thought of him. He was too excited. He was saying, I wasn't able to walk, now I can walk. And many people believed on the power of God because of his testimony. He didn't care. He said, this has changed my life. And while that changed him physically, he, he was changed spiritually as well. And while being changed, while being lame and being able to walk is something that is much more easy to see, being a sinner and being a saint is something that is much more important than walking. It's, something, it's a change that only God can do in our lives. That should be something that we are excited about. That doesn't mean you need to run through a subway car screaming at the top of your lungs. But you should have some of that same excitement in your life. There should be some of that same passion in your life to tell others about God. The disciples were so passionate about Jesus Christ in, verse, in chapter number 4. The, the, the Pharisees, when they were talking with each other, said, they took, the Bible says they took knowledge that these men had been with Jesus. That's what the Bible says about them. They were so um, changed by their time with Jesus that the Pharisees were like, we can't, these guys have, these guys have just been with Jesus. There's no other way we can explain it. They've just been with Jesus. And they said, we cannot but help to speak the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard. Because they had allowed Jesus Christ to become the passion of their lives. They had, allowed, they had made that their passion, and that was what they lived for. So every opportunity that came in their lives, hey, I know someone who can fix your problems. I know the one. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, because He's the only one that can bring salvation. Disciples would later say, there is no, for there is no other name given, um, given under heaven whereby men must be saved. So the challenge tonight is, if we want to see some of the same results, well, we're not going to see necessarily 5,000 people get saved in one instance. That doesn't mean God can't. But we need to make God the passion of our lives. So that every opportunity we are given, we can share the power of a resurrected Lord with those we come in contact with. And we will be surprised, if we will simply do that, we might be very surprised by the results that God brings. Because Peter and John were like, we didn't do this through our power, talking about the lame man. It was through Jesus Christ. 
And when Jesus Christ is your passion, when Jesus Christ is what you are talking about, what you are focused on, and somebody says, hey, why is your life different? Well, it's not because of me, it's because of Jesus Christ. When you're walking through and you have a chance to witness to someone, and someone gets saved and they come to church, you're going to say, Jesus Christ saved this person, and look who brought them to church. Jesus Christ brought them. And it, When Jesus Christ is your passion, it's never about you, it's always about Him. And when we choose to make God our passion... We're going to use every opportunity we have to share the power of a resurrected Lord with them. So what's our passion tonight? What's my passion? What consumes my thoughts? What does the conversation naturally bend towards when I'm not when I don't have a sermon outline in front of me to go with? Where does it go? That'll tell you where your passion is. So the question is, where's your passion? Let's make God our passion. That's, that's, I believe, the point that Luke wanted to get across here. The disciples had God as their passion. And that's why every opportunity that came up, they shared God with others. And we can do the same, even in New York City. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for tonight and we thank you.